Way back in 1977, long before probably half the people in this room were born, a movie came out called Oh God. And George Burns in that movie played the the role of God incarnate who came into the world and he built a relationship with a grocery store manager by the name of Jerry Landers. And as God and Jerry spend time together, at one point, Jerry inadvertently says, oh God, as an sort of a a swear word, a a blasphemous expression. And George Burns, who plays the role of God, says, yes, Jerry, what is it? And Jerry says, huh? Oh, Oh, it's nothing, Lord. It's just an expression, a figure of speech, nothing more. And God says, Jerry, that's why I'm here. I want people to know that I'm not just a figure of speech. I'm not just a phrase that people blurt out when they get frustrated. I want you to tell people to take me seriously, that I am the Lord. This is sort of a interesting truth that comes through this Hollywood production. And it's actually based upon the 10 commandments of God, the third of which... Exodus 27, verse 7, reads as follows. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Most of you have probably heard this, that we're not supposed to take God's name in vain. But have you ever taken time to digest the reasons for it, the implications of it, the consequences for taking God's name in vain? You know, the word damn is a biblical word. It's in the Bible. It's not a swear word. It's a biblical word. But it's not God's last name. And yet many people use it that way. God's name is regularly abused and misused. In fact, if you pay close attention to Hollywood movies, you will notice that Muhammad's name is never taken in vain. And Buddha's name is never taken in vain. And Krishna's name is never taken in vain, but Jesus' name is taken in vain all the time. Now, to understand why God prohibits us from abusing and misusing his name, we need to understand the biblical theological significance of naming. Now, think about this. Back in Genesis, when God created the world and he bestowed upon Adam, who he named Stewardship over creation. What was one of Adam's first tasks? To name the animals. God didn't name the animals. Adam named the animals. Why? As a sign of Adam's authority over creation. When Adam was lonely, God created Eve. And Adam named Eve because he is the spiritual head over his wife. Jewish fathers in ancient times, would name their daughters at the synagogue on the first Sabbath after they were born. And if it was a boy, he would be named in the eighth day at the time of his circumcision. The mom wouldn't name the child. The older sister didn't name the child. The father named the child as a sign of his spiritual headship, his authority over that child. Even in our culture, children typically, and it's a little cringy when I hear people do otherwise, But children don't call their fathers or their mothers by their first name. 
They give them a title. They say, hey, dad or mom or daddy or papa or mama or whatever it might be. My kids don't say, hey, Aaron, how's it going? I'd slap them right in the face. <laughs> they did that. Yeah. There's a certain authority that we expect. Even in Old Testament law, calling your brother a harsh name carries a punishment, but calling your father a harsh name carries greater punishment. Why? Because the name represents the authoritative position of the person who's being named. In the scriptures, God reveals himself to his people using his covenantal name. So a little lesson, it's kind of interesting. In Hebrew, the alphabet is all and only composed of Consonants, not vowels. Do you know A-E-I-O-U? Those aren't in the Hebrew alphabet. Those are added in and around the consonants as little dots and dashes and little T's and sets of three dots. These are vowel markers. So when God revealed his name, his covenantal name, to the nation of Israel... The nation of Israel took his name so seriously that they wouldn't even utter it. So we don't even know what the vowels are. But the four letters that make up God's covenantal name, Yahweh, are Yod, He, Wow, or some say Vav if they're more German. Wow, He, Yod, He, Wow, He. And when we add vowels in between those, we have Yahweh in English. Now, old German theologians, you ever met some Jehovah's Witnesses? So Jehovah is the Germanic version of Yahweh. So instead of Yah, it's J. And then you got the H, same in English. Instead of W, it's V. And they add different vowels. So you have Jehovah, Yahweh. It's the same consonantal root in the Hebrew. And this name that God revealed himself to Moses and the people of God translates as the one who is ever present. I will not always be present. I was created on a certain date. I will die on a certain date. God is eternal. He's the one who is ever present. And some commentators have also pointed out that when you pronounce God's covenantal name, and again, we don't know what the exact pronunciation is because the original vowel markers have been lost. That's how revered it was. It almost sounds like wind. Yahweh, Yahweh. And this is interesting because in the scripture, God is at times presented to us as one who comes and goes like the wind. Now God delivers his name to us. And then he says, we're not to take his name in vain, which literally means, literally means we can never take up or use God's name worthlessly with no purpose attached, with no meaning attached. The command is not to misuse it, to empty it of meaning, but rather to use it substantively in a worshipful way, a worthy way. And this means that when we use God's name, we don't just say, well, we're not supposed to swear. We're not supposed to swear and use his word, his name as a swear word. It has far, far more reaching implications than that. It may be that you never, ever use God's name as a swear word, but is it possible that you use God's name 
in a meaningless way. Elton Trueblood said, the worst blasphemy is not profanity, but lip service. Just using his name flippantly, nonchalantly, without any serious attention. This robs Yahweh of the vitality and the substance that is rightly his to receive from us. We should never utter his name in worship without thoughtful reflection. Even when we're singing songs on the screen. You ever been singing a song and all of a sudden you're like, I'm not even paying attention to what the words are, but I like the tune. When you sing worship songs to God, you're often making vows. You're making promises to God. Someone was telling me of a church that was forbidding worship and during the lockdown. And they said one of the things that was super odd and showed the thoughtlessness of the worship leaders is they got up and said, okay, you're not allowed to sing. And one of their first songs was sing a little louder. (laughs) We should never sing in a meaningless way, in a trivial way. We should never use his word either, his name either as a, a magic word to somehow fix our problems. So some people in Western evangelicalism, especially in the charismatic side of Western evangelicalism, have been taught that God's name is sort of like a a password. It's like a magic word to stick in a lock and open a door. So if you have a problem in life, you can just command something in Jesus' name. You just say Jesus' name or God's name, and it's like a password. It's like a magic word that will open access to whatever it is you're looking for. Well, God's name is not a password either. When we call upon God's name, we're actually calling upon God, the person to show up and perform the miracle or unlock the door. It's God's person that does that, but his name is representative of his person. When the early disciples cast out demons in Jesus' name, it wasn't those letters that were somehow magical. It was the power of the person that bore that name that accomplished mighty feats on behalf of people that were broken and desperately in need of a healing touch. So as Christians, one of the things that we want to do is to make sure that we are always hallowing God's name, always using it carefully. When we pray, we want to be careful about what we're saying. When we're singing, we want to be careful about what we're singing. When we're preaching, we want to make sure we're accurately representing the message of God. Now, if a person does, he will be held guiltless. But it also raises the question, what if I choose not to obey this commandment? What if I start using God's name flippantly as a swear word? Or I'm pretending to worship him, but I'm thinking about cutting the grass this afternoon. I'm not being focused. I'm not being attentive to God's covenantal name. Well, in Leviticus 24, verses 10 to 16, we have an incident recorded to us, and it's kind of a, a shocking incident, especially in a culture like ours that has reduced punishment down to a slap on the wrist for most people. But this, this kind of lets us in on God's mindset when it comes to how holy his name is. Let me read it for you. It's an incident found in Leviticus 24, verses 10 to 16. Now, an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son 
and a man of Israel fought in the camp and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. So he broke the third commandment. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be made clear to him. So it's like, Lord, what do you want us to do with this guy that blasphemed your name? Well, here's what God says. This is God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord, that's Yahweh, when you see it in all caps in English, that's Yahweh, shall surely be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. (laughs) I think we'd have a much smaller population in Canada (laughs) if Canadian law followed up on this biblical precedent. So sacred is the command that to violate it is to deserve death. Now, in our culture, sadly, you can be a serial pedophile or a serial murderer, and they'll never put you to death. This is how we've reduced down our understanding of biblical justice. And when it comes to the name of God, I mean, we just kind of, well, whatever. Who cares? There's, there's no, no punishment. It's not even considered wrong by the vast majority. This is how far our congregation, our, our, our community, our country has drifted from biblical law, from an understanding of these creational truths. So I want to just kind of get us thinking a little bit in our own lives about how much we honor God's name in our daily worship, in the daily rhythms of our weekly responsibilities. So just ask yourself this question. Do I ever misuse or mishandle or mistreat God's name? And let me give you a few reasons why it's important for us to hold God's name in high regard. And here's the first one if you're taking notes. Because Yahweh's name reminds us of his covenant. Because Yahweh's name reminds us of his covenant, a solemn agreement that he's made with his people to be their God. For the Jews, this name reminded them of the covenant that God had made with the descendants of Abraham. And we have a record of that found in Exodus chapter 3, 17 chapters earlier, verses 13 to 15. Let me read that one for you. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, "Hmm, What is his name? Then shall I, what shall I say to them? Because of course they were living in a polytheistic world and they wanted verification that this God that was claiming ultimate authority over them was the true and genuine God. God said to Moses, this is just kind of a fascinating statement. I am who I am. Just, let's just pause there for a moment. Wouldn't it be kind of weird if you met someone in the foyer after church today and you said, hi, my name is Aaron. What's your name? I am. Okay, can you finish the sentence? (laughs) Who are you? 
We, we need a lot of descriptors to define ourselves. I am Aaron Rock. I am a male. I am a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a Canadian. I got all these descriptors to kind of define me because I'm just one of many. God can just say, I am. Because he is the original, eternal, all-sufficient being. He doesn't even need descriptors. He just is the eternally existing one. And the word Yahweh captures that. So he says to him, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. And so he points back to his redemptive work. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, thus shall I be remembered throughout all generations. Why do we teach biblical history? Because we're not just independent individuals that happen to be born on a particular date all by our lonesome. We are the result of a lineage of spiritual forebears right back to the beginning of time. We are the result, we've been blessed by it. We are the result of the faithfulness of people back to the beginning of time. And especially for Israel as they saw this literally genetic connection with people who had gone before them, they needed to be reminded all the time of what God had done in the past in order to anchor them and encourage them in the present. I think we talked about this last week, if not the week before, that God often points us back to remember what he has done, to recall what he has done, because that anchors us in the present. So when, when you're discouraged in life, I mean, how often are we like, man, Lord, I don't know what you're doing and I'm kind of upset and I'm... And I don't even know what your plan is right now, but we start to recall what God has done in the past and it kind of comforts us. Like, okay, take a breath. God has been faithful up till now. Why would I doubt him tomorrow? God was faithful a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago to his people. Why would I doubt him today? So God delivers these reminders to his people. And while these words were written to the Jewish community, notice that it says, this is my name forever. That means it's still his name now because this is still part of forever. Regardless of whether we live under the stipulations of the law as a whole, many laws and statements in the old covenant scriptures are so fundamental to the nature of God that they still apply today. You always know you've just met an untrained, uninformed, ignorant Christian when they say, well, that's just Old Testament. Nothing applies before Matthew. I don't know where you got that from, but that's not true. The civil ceremonial laws, we're not bound to them. Everything else applies. The nature and character of God, the creational accounts, etc. This is my name forever. So, whether we live under the stipulations of the ceremonial laws or not, these commandments are so fundamental to the nature of God that they still apply in 2021. So as New Testament Christians, we cannot legitimately claim to have no responsibility to these commands, writing them off as irrelevant. They still apply. God's name is still holy. God is still the great I am. And we are still required to honor him. Now, during these discussions about the new covenant, 
and the agreement that God has made with the Christian church. This is what the apostle Paul taught us in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 12. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 12 says this, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Both Jews under the old covenant and Greeks under the new covenant all come to faith by understanding the true and living God. And under the old covenant, he manifests himself as Yahweh. And under the new covenant, we have Jesus as the fuller manifestation of God who walked among us. But we still lift high the name of God, even when we lift, lift high the name of Jesus in Christian worship. To, to profess God's name is to worship it. To say that Jesus is Lord is to remind oneself of the covenantal relationship that we also have with God. So reason number one, Yahweh's name reminds us of his covenant. Reason number two, Yahweh's name reminds us of his redemption, rescue, in other words. In both Testaments, the name of God is associated with God's work of rescuing sinful, broken, captive, enslaved human beings from destruction. His name represents freedom from trouble and freedom from captivity to sin. The psalmist declared in Psalm 20, verse 1, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Think about that for a moment. May the name, how does a name protect me? Is it like a magic word? No, the name represents the being who bears the name. So again, in biblical theology, to blaspheme the name is to blaspheme God. To call upon the name is to call upon God. To worship the name is to worship God. It's one and the same. The name represents the one that bears the name. And this is why we set apart his name as sacred. In Luke 24, verse 47, the New Testament writer said, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Notice, in his name. It's not just words. It's the person that brings about redemption. So when we misuse God's name, we show disrespect for God's redemption. How silly is it to thank God for your salvation and then in the next breath to curse his name? To curse his name is to curse the God that redeemed you. So by sanctifying his name, by being careful how we use his name, we remind ourselves of his redemptive efforts on our behalf. Third, Yahweh's name reminds us of his teaching or the truth that he's delivered to us. In Psalm 22, 22, the, the scripture writer says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. In Psalms, you often have like two lines and one sort of connects itself to the other in some way. And here we have, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So it's telling us there that when the writer is 
telling people of God's name, what he's actually doing is praising God's name. So we esteem God by telling the truth. And God's name reminds us of truth. Truth and God's name are so closely connected that instead of saying, I will tell of your truth to my brothers, the psalmist says, I will tell of your name to my brothers because the name represents all that is true. God's name and truth are synonyms since God is truth and God is the source of truth. To misuse his name then is to lie. Think about that. When someone uses God's name in a vain way, what they're actually doing is they're lying. They're pointing people away from truth to a lie. They're denouncing, they're diminishing the giver of truth, the foundation of truth, the giver of life and salvation and freedom. And the devil, of course, is the master of lies, loves it when the world uses God's name in vain because it diminishes the one who is ultimate truth to us. Here's another example of the same thing in John 17, 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. God the Son speaks these words, recognizing that he is the voice of God into a lost and dying world. Christ came to teach people about God. And when he spoke of the truth of God, he was comfortable saying, I have manifested your name. Just kind of lock that one away. The name of God and truth are one and the same. By the way, this is why the world loves a silent church that doesn't preach the gospel or doesn't introduce people to the true and living name. If you can keep the church silent, all you have left is lies because God's name's not going out. Someone else is being presented as your rescuer, your Messiah. Foundationally, this is one of the reasons why we fought so hard to keep our churches gathered Because what we're doing here is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. We are proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again to lost people, to people that are saved that need to be reminded. We are pointing people to the truth. And yet when fear takes hold, what have we seen in the vast majority of the Christian church in Canada? Everyone goes silent, cowers in fear, And they let the messiahs of the age take over our pulpits and podiums and preach their humanistic, hedonistic, Marxist gospel. You keep the church silent, all you have left is lies. Because God's name literally is the embodiment of truth. When we speak of God and we use Jesus' name, we're we're heralding a claim of truth into the world. Jesus Christ makes it clear that he's the voice of God. When we teach the truth of God, as I'm doing now, we point people to the name to God. Every time on the flip side, and we use his name in vain, we lie. We're lying. We're pointing to a lie or a body of lies. By the way, when we worship, 
We often include in our hymnology, in our choruses, references to the name of God. So do you remember some lines like this from Christian songs? No other name but the name of Jesus. Remember that one? Does that sound familiar? How about blessed be the name of the Lord or Lord, we lift your name on high. Why do we, why do we put songs, lines like that in our music? In doing so, we're declaring truth. We're pointing people to the giver of truth, the giver of life, the source of our redemption. Likewise, when we sing these songs in a thoughtless way, just paying, paying lip service to them, what we're actually doing, even though we may not be aware of this, is we're breaking the third commandment. Better not to sing than to sing thoughtlessly. Every time we use God's name, we need to use his name carefully. And here's a fourth one. Yahweh's name reminds us of his morals, of virtue, of ethics, of how we should live. Yahweh's name reminds us of his morals. The prophet Micah said this in Micah 4 verse 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. Hmm, What does that mean? All the peoples, including Canadians, walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What does it mean to walk in the name of a God or to walk in the name of our Lord? It means to walk under his shadow. It means to walk, listen to this church, under his leading. It means to follow his righteousness or if it's a foreign God, his lies. It means to live ethically for the Christian, to live a good and godly life. So when we walk in the name of the Lord, we're walking in goodness. When we walk in the name of Jesus, we're walking in goodness. When we walk in the name of Yahweh or Jehovah, we're walking in goodness. But when we're walking in the name of Allah, we're walking in a lie. When we're walking in the name of the messianic secular leader that's leading our nation, we're walking in a lie. So this is why with God, to misuse his name is to actually push push ethics and moral virtues away. When we misuse his name, we push his, his ethics, his goodness, his righteousness away. But to use his name properly is to walk in truth and moral righteousness. You know, sometimes people as a, a thoughtless expression will say, good God, but it's not like God is good. They're using it in a profane way. Talk about the ultimate irony. When you say good God in a profane way, it's actually the opposite. You're downplaying the goodness of God, the moral virtues of God. And by the way, every nation will walk in the name of some God, nameless or not. Every nation walks in the name of a God. Look at our country. It's becoming increasingly clear. For all Canadians walk each in the name of their God. And the fewer Canadians 
walk in the name of the true and living God who is a source of righteousness and truth. Pardon my language. But the stupider people get. The more nutty people get. The more insane people get. The stuff that's taking place in our country today isn't even a matter of you know, two different opinions. It's craziness versus truth. It's craziness versus truth. The hypocrisy, the lies are, are unbelievable. Oh, we're all into science. Pick your gender. That's not scientific. How is that scientific? Check your chromosomes. But this is the nuttiness of the world within which we live. So we always need to make sure that we're holding God's name in high regard. By the way, some real practical implications of this, sort of some common questions that people have asked me over the years, probably asked you as well, which I think are, are pretty important for us to, to consider, would be questions like, okay, so if misusing God's name is, is sinful, is it appropriate to swear in God's name in court? Is it appropriate to put my hand in a Bible or to swear in God's name in court? And the answer is yes, it's appropriate. If you do so honestly and carefully, pity the man that puts his hand on a Bible and then lies and perjures himself in court. He no longer has to worry about the penalty for the crime that he's committed. He has to do business with God. In Leviticus 19.12, it says, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall you profane the name of the Lord I am of your God, I am the Lord. But then in Deuteronomy 6, 13, it says, it is, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So yes, we are allowed to swear in a court of law on God's name, but not falsely. We're to swear on it truthfully. Others have asked, okay, so can... Can I use other swear words then as long as I avoid, you know, ones that relate to God? And it is true that the third commandment here is not speaking out against other foul swear words that may be commonplace in our culture. And so this doesn't apply directly to that, but that doesn't let you off the hook because we have passages in the Bible that speak of the need for us to be careful with our speech. I'll just give you one, 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you in your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So sadly, it seems that though many Christians have permitted swearing to become part of their vocabulary, um, we want to be different. We want to set a new standard a renewed standard. Really what it is, is an old standard for our children to make sure that they understand that while the world uses all sorts of word, cuss words inappropriately, our speech wants to be, should be pure and God-centered. By the way, I came across this, this television council discovered that at least once in an hour, children watching children's network shows will, will hear at least mild curse words. So if you put your kid in front of the television all the time or the, the laptop and you're just letting them watch whatever they want, 
probably about once an hour, maybe more, depending on what they're, they're watching, not only are you going to hear all sorts of false ideologies, but also cuss words. So if you have a, a dirty mouth, as they say, um, do business with the Lord and make sure that you clean up your speech. Here's a sensitive one. Okay, this is going to be the one that's going to nag many of you, I suspect, for at least the rest of the week. What about spin-off words like G or gosh or golly or one that I hear all the time, the, the OMG, often written out, OMG. What, what about those kind of words? Well, while they may not be as harsh as blasphemous words, and I suspect that most people that use them don't even think about their connection to the third commandment, to abbreviate God's name and use it to fill in the gap as an exclamation or expression or a term of mild surprise, OMG, is to profane God's name. God is not an expression like, far out, man, or holy cow. It's not an expression like that. And so we would be wise to use God's name carefully and avoid even these abbreviations. And if you can't think of anything to say, use your own name. Or use someone else's name. OMA. Oh, my Aaron. No. Rather than using God's name in an inappropriate way. Final question, how do we respond to unbelievers who may in our presence, people often ask us, I got this guy at work, he's constantly using Jesus' name in vain. What do I do? And some preachers are like, I don't moralize the guy. You know, he's not a Christian. You shouldn't expect, just let it go. Just wait for gospel opportunities. Right? That would be the approach of some. But let me just ask you this very simple practical question. And I think... I think if I ask you this question, you will be able to answer the other question for yourself. So fathers and mothers, what if they were using your daughter's name in a foul, inappropriate way? What would you say? What if they were speaking ill gentlemen of your wife? using my wife's name in an inappropriate way? What if they were speaking ill of the person that you love the most in this world? What would you do? Would you be silent? No, you wouldn't be silent. You'd say something. So if you love Jesus more than you love your daughter, your husband, your wife, your best friend, you know what you should do. You should confront it and have a conversation with that person about the offense, not only to you, don't just focus on the offense to you, but the offense to the true and living God. So let's just be reminded today that God's name is a powerful reminder of his deeds. And if we use it properly, we benefit and the world benefits. David called upon God's name when he was confronted with the giant Goliath. The apostles called upon God's name to heal the sick, the blind, the lame, the mute. 
and we call upon the name of the Lord our God to be saved. So let's then cherish his name and never ever fall into the trap of misusing it.